Well, we turn now to the reading of God's Word. If you have a copy of Scripture with you, we're going to be in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Let me turn there myself. First Peter chapter one. Hmm. I had a marker in my page and I've lost it. There we go. First Peter chapter one, verses twenty two to twenty five. Hear now the living word of your God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Thus far, the reading of God's word, you know, the grass withers and the flower falls, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us insight. Open our ears and hearts. Let these words sink into our hearts and souls and minds so that they will, will reach our hands and feet and we may act upon them. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What do you know about growing stuff? I mean, you know, what is your degree and knowledge, expertise in the area of growing stuff? What do you call someone who knows about growing stuff? I mean, if it's a hobby, you might call them a gardener. If it's their full-time job, you might call them a farmer. But someone whose life is dedicated to growing things. I don't know, maybe you would call it a uh, mother. I don't mean mothers or gardeners or farmers. I mean mothers grow children. And they know about growing stuff. Well, gardening, farming, raising children, growing things. In these verses, Peter is telling us about growing stuff. He tells us about the types of seeds sown in the ground. He tells us about cultivating the seedlings. And about lush grass blowing in the breeze, flowering. And he also reminds us how often what is grown then withers and fades and falls to the ground. But he tells us about sowing seeds that produce life. Life that lasts forever. What sort of seed is this that lasts forever? How do you grow such a seed? Well, look at the text with me. He's spelling out the practical implications of the Christian faith and hope. We know this. If you look back at verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace it will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So he's looking at these practical implications. By practical implications, I mean, what do faith and hope produce? What do they grow? Not, not if you dabble in faith or dabble in hope as a hobby or maybe even as a job, but when you're dedicated, you have a life dedicated to faith and hope, what does it grow? What comes from it? Well, he's showing us that having a living and active faith and a living hope grows living love. You see, love is what grows from faith and hope. His instruction is divided into two parts. The first is verses 22 and 23, and what does he show us there? Growing from living hope. Growing from living faith, excuse me. And then in verses 24 and 25, growing from living hope. So let's look at this living hope and this living faith. First, let's look at the faith. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love. Well, the first thing we should ask is, what is obedience to the truth? I have a Greek professor. His name is uh, Dr. Dyer. And he says, hey, seminary students, I'm scheduled to graduate in two weeks. Be praying. (laughs) I'd like to be able to graduate in two weeks, but I still have exams. He says, seminary students, you know, when you get in the pulpit, I'm teaching you Greek, but don't, don't teach the people Greek. Let them hear the word of God. And I, I like, I'm sorry, wasn't the word of God written in Greek in some cases? And he says, no, you know, they, they, they don't really want to hear all that academic stuff. And I say, actually, my family at Fairview loves it when I mention Greek words. I'll give you an example. It says obedience to the truth. Well, do you know what obedience is in Greek? It's actually a kind of a cool inside joke. It, you, it doesn't translate into the English. The Greek word for obedience is hypoakua. Now, what that means is, well, you know, akua, acoustics. It's hearing. It's listening. So if I were to say listening to the truth, you would understand. Oh, well, listening to the truth, I get to, you know, I, I'm hearing the truth. But what do you think hypoakua is? Hyper-listening. Listening on steroids, right? Now, you use it. You use listening to mean obedience, don't you? In fact, it's Mother's Day. Mothers, when you say to your child, I told you to take the trash out, but you didn't listen to me, you don't mean you didn't hear me. You mean you didn't obey. Hyper-listening is obedience. There, we learned some Greek today. It says, having purified your souls, how? By obedience to the truth. By listening hyper to the truth. Well, well what is the truth? Well, you know, it's, it's not good to take passages too far out of context. We're in First Peter. It's a letter to people who lived in Asia Minor. We call it Turkey. Many of these people were not, did not have a Jewish background, but they knew about Judaism. And in fact, because of Christianity, we're learning more and more about Judaism. But he's writing to these people throughout these areas. You know this because in the first verse it says Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's talking about Turkey. And he says, according to the foreknowledge of who? The God, God the Father, in the sanctification, uh, sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. 
He's got the Trinity right there for you. And he's talking about obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, some of you will have grown up in an environment in which you've learned that there's a difference between what we'll call loving Christianity and what we'll call legalism. And some of you understand that obedience sometimes sounds more like, obedi- uh, more like legalism than it sounds like loving Christianity. You with me so far? Well, when we say obedience to Jesus Christ, when Peter says that, and when he says obedience to the truth, he's talking about hyper-listening to the gospel. He's not talking about legalism. In some sense, he's not yet talking about loving Christianity. He's just simply talking about a loving Christ. Hearing, hyper-hearing that Jesus Christ came and died for sinners such as you. And having died, he rose again. And therefore, he is purifying your soul. And that's where we have in our verse here. Having purified your souls by faith in the gospel. Your soul has been purified by the faith that he's given you to know that he's your Lord and Savior. That's what obedience to the truth is. Well, it says, having purified, having done this, y'all having done this, well, where where are we going to get to here? Having purified your souls by the obedience of the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Now, what is brotherly love? Some of you will find this very funny. We're going to do a second Greek word. The exact word here is Philadelphian, meaning we use that word to mean someone from Philadelphia. So, for sincere Philadelphian. Well, we all know that that's kind of a bad name for that city, right? Because we don't, the first thing you think of when you think of Philadelphia is not brotherly love, right? You want brotherly love, you come down here, come to the south. I'm sorry if any of you are from Philadelphia. I'm from Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland, and Philadelphia was sort of near us, and anyway, you get the idea. It ain't Baltimore, and it, it ain't Fountain Inn. For a sincere brotherly love, and that's really the key here, we're not talking about Philadelphia, we're talking about a sincere Philadelphia, one that really is committed to brotherly love. And that's where the purification of your souls have gotten you, to actually have a sincere brotherly love. Your faith gives you that affection for fellow believers. That's what Peter's talking about here. You see, faith sprouts from the seeds of the gospel. And what does it give? It it gives this bed, this embedding of brotherly affection. Let me just comment one, uh, quote one commentator. He says, Peter knows that brotherly love among those who are not literally brothers and sisters, not, so in other words, outside the Payton family, those are not literally brothers and sisters, that was a joke for you guys, is impossible without purification of soul. He knows that brotherly love outside of the ones who are already in your family Now, he's not saying it's perfectly possible inside a family. Moms, you know what I'm talking about. Brotherly love doesn't necessarily naturally happen inside the family, but it certainly doesn't happen outside the family. It's not natural. 
It's impossible without the new birth of which Jesus has spoken in the gospel, which should immediately bring to mind John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night. What must I do to be saved? Jesus says, do? You have to be born again. Did did you all do being born the first time? No, you don't do anything. You receive faith. So affection is possible, right, through that. But let me ask you, is, is brotherly affection guaranteed in the church? I mean, every single moment of your life in a Christian environment, do you feel brotherly love? Or have you had moments... Do you know what it's like to be not loved? I think probably each of us have experienced moments of not love. Well, if if faith sprouts from the seed of the gospel, how does faith live? Well, it, it lives through the sowing of the gospel. And that's why in verse 22, the second half, it says, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Your souls, your heart has been purified. Now love one another from earnestly, fervently. It's hard to find the exact right lee, adverb, to get on there. Let me give you a simple one. Live love. You see, you can feel love. But he's talking about living love. Living love. In verse 23, he says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. He's talking about the living word living in you so that you're living love. He says, sincere sincere. He's actually, in Greek, third word and last time, he's not saying sincere. In other words, sincere is actually a positive thing. Uh, I sincerely hope that it's a positive thing. He's actually taken a different word and put a not in front of it. He said ahypocritical, not hypocritical. He's saying don't have non, or don't have hypocritical brotherly love, have non-hypocritical brotherly love. Now, you know what a hypocrite is. In Greek, you know it's an actor. It's a, back, we learned this already, hyper. It's a hyper pretender. Someone who says stuff hyper, dramatically. And he says, brotherly love, not hypocritical, not superficial, but pure. It comes from a pure heart. Well, what prevents such a thing? What prevents hypocritical brotherly love? He's already told us here in the verse, lack of obedience to the truth, not living the gospel, not recognizing your faith in Jesus means that you don't have to worry about stuff. Certainly you can care for things, but you don't have to worry. And so you don't need to be offended. And so you don't need to couch everything you do in some sort of hypocritical acting mode. No. Lack of obedience to the truth pushes back on brotherly love, but pure love comes from pure faith. Fake love comes from fake faith. So that's where I 
I have to stand up here and say this to you. Do you have pure faith? It says, having purified your souls by your... Have your souls been purified by the gospel? Do you know Jesus Christ? Peter is writing this to the churches. And he's saying, look, having done this, now love each other. And so I'm asking you, have you done this? Have you received it? If not, pray. Speak to the elders. Ask them to pray for you so that you may know the gospel, so you may know obedience to the truth. So that's where, that's where Peter has us here. These, this growing from living faith, this faith that sprouts from the seed of the gospel, the faith that lives through the sowing of the gospel. And he talks about this imperishable, this perishable seed and imperishable. Now you might say, what in the world is that? And no, I'm not going to give you some Greek answer. Perishable. You all know this. Milk. You leave it outside the fridge, it perishes. It's a perishable. You put it in the fridge for three weeks. This is for the teenage, teenagers in the crowd. You leave stuff out, it perishes. You leave it there for three weeks, its milk still perishes. Throw it out. You know what perishable stuff is. Now, what is imperishable? That means it doesn't do that. It doesn't die. It doesn't go bad. It doesn't go sour. It lasts forever. Now, you're, you're quite aware. In Scripture, we have the word seed appear quite a bit. In fact, the name Sarah, as in Abraham and Sarah, means seed. And, and you know that Scripture talks about the seed of Abraham. You know all sorts of stuff about seeds. You know about the sower, sowing seeds. Well, let's not be too quick to, to guess which word he means here, what, what, what seed he means here, because, by the way, this is not Sarah. This is a different word. This is more like the word sown seed. In other words, think of it as that which you purchase and put on the ground for the purpose of agricultural development. Debbie buys seeds from Parkville Seed Company. You all ever heard of Parkville Seed Company? Um, and I think it's one of those places where it, you, know, you get the seed by mail. You're supposed to plant it in some quick period of time. And if it doesn't grow, they'll give you your money back if you can prove blah, blah, blah. Why are they giving you money back? Because they know it's perishable seed. It's not going to work sometimes. It has to be sown properly. It has to go through that process. This isn't the word seed so much as it's the sowing. It's imperishable sowing going on here. And what do you need to grow stuff? Well, you need seed. You need a well-prepared field. And you need a sower, a gardener, someone to till and nourish. But that's not enough. You also need nourishment. There has to actually be something going into the ground to help. And so when Peter is talking about that you have been born again, not of perishable seed, he means not of things that have been sown in such a way that they can perish and will perish. It's been sown in you such that it will last forever. Your souls have been purified and your soul will last forever with this imperishable sowing. 
And so faith lives through the sowing of the gospel, the obedience to faith, to the truth. By the way, Vine's expository dictionary says this about that word for seed. The seed signifies the principle of spiritual life as imparted to the believer, which abides in him without possibility of removal or extinction. Let me tell you why I just read that. Because it sounds dead. (laughs) That didn't sound like living seed to me. The definition sounded boring. We're talking about living seed. We're talking about imperishable seed that's alive. Not some dictionary definition. We're talking about what's been sown in God's people that brings them life and brings them faith. Okay, let's turn to the next verse, verse 24. This is the growing from the living hope. We've looked at the growing from the living faith. Here's the growing from the living hope. For Verse 24, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. Do you all like zoysia grass? That's, it's, that's that stuff that turns brown in winter. Looks really, really super pretty, except when you miss the weeds and then the green like pops up big time. I, have, I don't have any zoysia in my house. Um, it takes a lot of work to take care of it. I have the really cool grass. In fact, I have biblical grass. I have exactly what Peter's talking about here. Because my grass flowers. <laughs> I don't think it's supposed to do that. I mean, I think you're supposed to cut it before all that happens. But somehow, even if I cut it once a week, somehow I'm getting like little yellow flowers and little purple flowers. And I know that some of those flowers are not coming from the grass, but some of them also seem to be part of the grass. I mean, it's not just the little seedling bits. It's it's pretty good grass if you want stuff to grow. But if you want your neighbors to respect you, It's not the best grass. Well, Peter's talking about this. He's talking about the glory of the flower of grass. Now, again, you don't look at your neighbor's lawn and say, oh, look at all those yellow flowers. Look at the glory of that grass. But you do say, wow, I see (laughs) the glorification of dandelions or whatever. You see that. It's very visible. And Peter's talking about this. Grass grows, and it gets really tall, and it starts to blow in the breeze, and it gets big flowers. And then what happens? It turns brown. It mats down. It withers and dies. You see, he's talking in verse 24 about sowing the message of death. I mean, this passage is about life. It's about living hope and living faith and living love. But in verse 24, he's talking about the message of death, which is exactly what I want for my dandelions. That's why I get, you know, the, uh, the, the, the weed killer. I want that death. I understand the concept of killing stuff in grass. Unfortunately, sometimes you end up killing grass at the same time, right? What's Peter talking about? He's talking about there are dying people who seem 
alive. They're growing taller, and they're flowering, and they look pretty with their yellow or purple flowers, and they're dying. All flesh, he says, is like grass. He's talking about everybody, the whole entire world. By the way, where does he get this from? He gets it from Isaiah 40. Um, if you wanted to turn to Isaiah 40, you needn't turn there. It's a, it's a chapter, my, my ESV version introduces it by saying the comfort for God's people. Comfort for God's people. Now, if you've read a lot of Isaiah, you know that's maybe an unusual chapter, meaning there's, there's a lot of stuff happening there that isn't quite so comforting. But this is comfort. V- verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And then we get to verse 7. What does it say? The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. He's talking about your neighbors. He's actually talking about you as well. All flesh dies. No matter how it grows, your body will eventually die and decay if the Lord doesn't return first. All flesh dies. Here's what one commentator says. What is the great defect in all human greatness? So you're thinking human greatness. Think of human greatness. What is the great defect, this is the problem, with, in all human greatness and beauty, all human beauty, in all earthborn riches, in all earthborn pleasures? What is the common theme? It's an old writer, so he said transitoriness. That's a big word for saying they fade, they falter, they wither, and they die. All the great defect in all human greatness, all human beauty, all human riches, and all human pleasures is that eventually they burn out. You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, we talked about imperishable seed. If you look back uh, in First Peter, earlier in the chapter... What does he say is imperishable? He says gold and silver are perishable. Now, we've already agreed milk is perishable. What is imperishable is the word of God. It can't die. The souls of God's people can't die. But gold and silver can perish. Now, you would have said, Peter, hold on a second. What do you mean gold and silver are perishable? You know, they're durable. You put them in a fire, they're they're still gold and silver. You cover them in dirt, they're still gold and silver. They don't perish. They don't go bad. They don't sour. But he's reminding you here in this message of death in verse 24 that all flesh and all things associated with flesh eventually wither and die. You can't take gold and silver with you. It's not going with you. Let me ask you this question. Are you hearing the message of death? I mean, when you go out in the world, are you hearing messages of death? I suspect you are. People beckoning you. Grow taller. Get big flowers. Get gold and silver. Are you believing the message of death? That's the big question. 
What does it look like to believe the message of death? Well, it certainly means to not love your brother. When you believe the message of death, you love yourself. And that's what Peter's reminding us here. That growing from living hope is in the context of the world having messages of death. Well, so he's going to balance that. We're not here to depress anyone. Verse 25, sowing the message of life. Verse 24, sowing the message of death. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Oh, that's cool. What is the word? And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It's kind of funny. All right, I did it one more time. In the Greek, it's the good newsing. In other words, it's the, it's the preaching. It's the, it's the bringing of the good news. It's the publishing of the good news that was preached to you. The sowing of those seeds brought to you. The word of the Lord remains forever, and this is the word, the good news, the gospel, that was preached to you. That should bring us back earlier in the passage. Hyper-hearing, hyper-listening. It was preached to you, and you heard it. How did you hear it? The Holy Spirit opened your ears so that you may know the truth, so that you may hear the good news being preached to you. That was obedience to the truth. Verse 12, by the way, in the same passage, he talks about preaching the good news. Verse 13, he talks about setting your hope. What is he trying to do here? Peter... Remember, Peter and Paul are different. Paul is very logical. Let's just, you know, work this thing through. Peter's trying to carry you along with some of his excitement, his fervency, his life. And he's saying, you heard the good news. It was preached. Now set your hope. Let those seeds grow in you. Let your hope grow. You see, growing from living hope comes from sowing the message of life. And that's in contrast to the message of death. You should remind you of Romans, Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Faith, how they have not had faith. And how are they to believe in him? How are they to have faith? Of whom they have never heard. Well, how would they never hear? If it wasn't preached. If it was never preached, they couldn't hear. If they couldn't hear, they couldn't believe. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, let me be clear. You know, when we talk about preaching right here, we're not talking about people like me and Jonathan. We're talking about you. How do you grow stuff? Well, there needs to be a seed. Well, we got... You've got words here. It has to be sown. Who's doing the preaching? Are you bringing the good news to people around you? You see, this is the, the picture he's described for us here. He's saying, hey, let's go back to, the, to verse 22b. Love one another. It's the only command, if you will, the only imperative in this passage is what? To love one another earnestly from a pure heart. How do you do that? Well, he's saying, look, it came from your purified heart through the purification of your soul. And where did that come from? 
from this imperishable seed that was sown. And what is that? It's the Word of God. Therefore, love one another. What does he mean by love one another? Share the gospel with one another. He's not talking about evangelizing the lost. He's talking about sharing the gospel with the person sitting next to you. He's talking about helping them to live their hope and have a living hope. To live their faith, have a living faith. He's calling you to live love. So it's living love. Not just simply Philadelphian love. It's living and alive. Think about this passage. It's talking about two things. Identity and responsibility. Identity and responsibility. He's saying, having purified your souls, that's your identity. You've got a purified soul. That comes from what? The obedience to the truth, the gospel. What is he saying? Your identity is a Christian. That's who you are. Your identity is in Christ. What is your responsibility? Well, you can't, you can't be a lover if you don't love. He's making a very simple, logical argument. Your identity and responsibility are combined. You're a member of the body of the Christ. Having believed the gospel, you now have a heart to love. So love one another, which means sharing the gospel. With whom? With one another. There's an old story. It's probably apocryphal, meaning it's probably not true. It's a legend, if you will. Probably. It's not recorded in Scripture, but it's from the first century. John, as you know, was the only apostle to live to very old age. And he lived in Ephesus. And he reached a point where he could barely speak anymore. It's sort of ironic for an apostle, but he could barely speak anymore. He'd written his gospel. He shared God's truth. And when people came to church, he would say, little children, little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. He could barely speak. And they said to him, you know, John, why do you keep, why do you keep saying little children love one another? Why do, you, why do you keep saying that? And he said, because it is a command from God And if I do that, I have done enough. Little children, love one another. You will be doing enough. It's a command from God right here. Do you know what it means to be loved? I mean, seriously, do you know what it means to be loved? Jesus gave us some helpful pointers here. If you know what it means to be loved, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love one another. Do you know what it means to not be loved? Keep that in mind as you're loving. Keep that one in mind. Peter's really just summarizing it this way. You have received faith, so believe. You've received hope, so hope. You've received love, so love fervently. You've been born again, so live. It's a wash, rinse, repeat. Love. By the way, if we look back at the chapter, just to get that context, how does he help us get there? 
Verses 15 and 16. What does he tell us to do? Be holy. Be set apart. Receive holiness. Live holiness. Why? Verse 21. So that your faith and hope are in God. Love one another. Let me ask you this question. What do you call someone who knows about growing? What do you call someone who knows about growing as a dedication of their life? What do you call someone who knows about growing love? A Christian. So little children, love one another. Let's pray. Great Heavenly Father, your word has been given to us so that we may know you, so that we may know who we are, and so that we may love one another. Lord, you have been so gracious to us. You have given us so many wonderful blessings. You have cared for us in so many wonderful ways, not the least of which being a living word that endures, that lasts forever. Our bodies won't last forever. Our friends' bodies and family's bodies won't last forever. But our souls, when sown with the seed of love through faith and hope, Lord, let us live forever with you. And we pray this in the name of the one who died so that we may live, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen.